Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that we can come to you any time. For us, we live within the framework of time. And we come to you on this first Sunday of 2020. And we just want to say to you, we love you, Lord. And we thank you that you love us deeply. Thank you for forgiveness of sin, gift of eternal life. And we just ask that you will continue to speak to us like you always do. That we might be transformed and changed. And we might live for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Livy, at the start of the uh, service, as she did the welcome, she said, uh, she pointed us to trusting God and loving people. Uh, New Year is a time there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of uh, resolutions being done. So, why all this? And uh, New Year's were celebrated in right from antiquity, in different places at different times, depending on what calendar you followed, whether it's lunar or solar or Gregorian, you know, all these different calendars. Um, God is outside of time. He's Timeless. He broke into time by separating light from the darkness and then he went on to mark time over those six days of creation and on the seventh day he rested. And the people whom he chose in Abraham and uh, to them, he had already told Abraham that his descendants will be captives for, in a strange land for a period of 400 plus years, and then they will be brought out. So his descendants, the children of Israel, all of them were brought out during a particular month, the month of Nisan, or Abib in Hebrew calendar, and that was the marking of the new year for them. Okay. Subsequently, after the 70 AD or 70 Christian era, after the destruction of the temple, you had the Mishnah, which is oral Torah, and they had a civil New Year introduced, which is in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, the first of Tishri, Numbers 29, you'll read about blowing on the trumpets. The other one is in Exodus 12, the Jewish New Year. So two New Years for the Jewish people, if you like. But what about us? Where did our New Year come from in, in, in the Western world, as it were, as we celebrate. 
It goes back to Roman times. You had a Roman deity by name of Janus. This particular deity had got two faces, one facing forward and one facing backward. And uh, they celebrated his special occasion, if you like, uh, because January comes from Janus, and, uh, or the 1st of January, because he was the, the, that particular Roman deity looked backward and forward. It was almost like looking back and looking forward. So closing, bringing a closure to something of the past and bringing, looking forward to something of the new. But of course it was a pagan festival. So the Christendom celebrated New Year's on a different day because they thought, oh, we, should, we too want a New Year. That was March the 25th. Why March the 25th? Because the Christendom believed that that was when Angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in terms of annunciation of the birth of Christ. So they celebrated that until Pope Gregory the 13th decided that you know, we got all these too many New Year's. Let's all bring it into sync. Let's Christianize January the 1st. So that's what he did. And uh, so New Year's became an occasion there. But of course in England, we were Protestants, weren't we, at that time? Because King Henry VIII, so until 1752, it, it took an act of the Parliament to make New Year's Day January the 1st, until then it was the 25th of March. I'm just giving you a little bit of picture. But the whole concept, right from Jewish times in Exodus 12 to this, is the idea of a closure of something old and the beginning of something new. But friends, there's no closure until you have received forgiveness for your sins in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, your, you, your life remains open. You know, there is a uh, Warren, Buffet, Warren Buffett, the financial person. He, says, he said something a long time ago. I was, a, I, was only in my, I was a youngster in my teens, probably. He said, when the tide is in, everyone can jump in the water and frolic. But when the tide is out, you'll know how many people are naked. So in other words, while in this season you can have all the fun and frolic, but you, not, you have not had a closure until God has brought a closure for you in Christ Jesus, where he has wiped away all your sins. And you cannot have a new beginning until you have begun in Christ Jesus. So first of all, I want to welcome any of you who have not begun your race with God. God loves you and he does not want to punish you for your sins because he sent Jesus Christ as your substitute to die for your sins so you can go scot-free. He wants to wipe your slate clean, bring a closure to all the disappointments that sin has introduced into your life, all the curse, all the difficulties, which puts you in a place of no hope. Now, I'm not talking about hope in this world, but beyond this world. So, that's his offering in Christ Jesus. 
So I would encourage you to welcome in your hearts the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, come and take my mess. Come and take my pain. Come, Lord, my life is in a mess. I hand it over to you. I need a savior. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning towards you. Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy on me. If you believe that in your heart, you are being justified. Your slate is being wiped clean. He's giving you the gift of righteousness. I want to encourage you, if that's you, talk to your neighbor whom you sat next to, a friend whom you chatted to maybe in the beginning of the service, and say, I want to put my life right before God, and we would love to take you further in your journey. In, in New Year's time, people make resolutions, and often in Christendom, people make resolutions like, I want to read the Bible more, I want to spend time with God more, etc., Sometimes we make very good starts and then little distractions creep in. And in, in life, there's one of the things that really destroy our faith, if you like. Your faith cannot be destroyed if you are in Christ Jesus, but you know, we can shake you if you like, is, um, is the fact that is doubt. So my topic today is how doubt sets in, how do we deal with doubt from the story of John the Baptist. So we read from Matthew chapter 11 verses 1 to 6. Thank you, Daniel. You read brilliantly. So in, um, who is John? John? John was the miracle child of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Why do I say miracle child? Because they both were past the age of bearing children for Elizabeth. In fact, the Bible says she was barren. She could not have children. He was an old man, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. It was his turn to burn incense at the altar of incense in the temple that was in Jerusalem. And it, it was chosen by Lot and he was burning incense and interceding for the nation of Israel. He wasn't praying, God, give me a child. He was seeking God. The Bible says he was a righteous man and his wife was a righteous woman. So as he's burning incense and something happened which didn't happen all the time, an angel of God appeared and told him, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. Another extra piece of information, by the way, you're going to become a father. And he's saying, he's terrified. He's saying, but, but, but. The angel just shuts him up by saying, I'm Gabriel. I stand before God. Wow. That's authority. He's saying, forget your ifs and buts. It's the edict has come out from God's throne. It's going to be so. If God speaks a word over you, it's spoken. Thus says the Lord. That's so powerful. That's why the prophets use the words. I know that uh, in today's world, lots of people flakily say, thus says God, you know, right from a glass of orange juice to all kinds of things. <clears throat> hey, when you're speaking for God, be sure you're speaking for for God 
the best way to be sure is to speak scripture. Because the Bible is the prophetic, is the prophecy, is the prophetic word of God. We are a prophetic people. So even as we gather, we are prophesying to the world on behalf of God, if you like. Wow. Isn't it amazing? You're a prophetic people, a holy nation chosen by God, and you are, you are declaring His praises. You're declaring Him as you gather, as you live, as you work, as you go about life. John was a miracle child because of that reason. He was also the cousin of Jesus, if you like, in earthly sense. He was the forerunner. His ministry, what he was going to do, was already mentioned by angel Gabriel to his parents or his father. And when he was born, and then he had to live a certain kind of life, his diet was prescribed, his ministry was prescribed. And he was a forerunner. In Malachi it says, he's, the, he's that voice that's crying out in the wilderness. The forerunner who goes before the coming of Messiah, the Christ. So my first question would be, that of all people, how could John doubt? He's after all the forerunner. You know something, doubt comes to all people. The Bible's encouragement, uh, Bible gives encouragement for people who struggle with doubt. I'm going to give from Jude, there's only one chapter, chapter 1 verse 22 says, Have mercy on them who doubt. Do you get frustrated when people doubt? Have mercy on them who doubt. Thomas doubted. What did Jesus go and do? He met with him and restored him. Church, when Christians struggle with doubt, it's our responsibility to walk alongside them and to restore them from their place of doubt to a place of strength. So we look from this thing. We look at how could John of all people doubt? What caused John to doubt? What did John do about his doubt? How did Jesus help him with his doubt? And lastly, we will look at how can we, what can we learn from this? So we look at, of all people, how could John doubt? After all, he's the forerunner. He was the one who was instructed by God to go and proclaim, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent all of you and be baptized because the king of the kingdom is coming and you people are not ready. He was quite an outspoken character. He looked at some scribes and Pharisees coming and he looks at them and he said, You brood of vipers. Who want you to escape from the wrath to come? That was... John, he was quite an outspoken character. You know, prophets were spokesmen for God. They spoke when God moved them to speak. But when they spoke, they spoke confidently. They didn't care about the, uh, the outcome. They were quite... That was John. 
So he came because God had instructed him to go and baptize people. And he said, that's how you're going to, John, you're going to identify who is the Christ. When you see the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descend on the person, that is the Christ. And John was baptizing various people. Jesus came to him. He generically before that said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then when Jesus comes to him, he's arguing with Jesus, you shouldn't be baptized because it's a, a baptism of repentance. Jesus is saying, Let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had nothing to repent of because he was the Son of God. He, as he went into the water, as he came up out of the water, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came and descended on him in, in the form of a dove. And there was a voice in heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a plain Hebrew. Beloved in Hebrew is David. This is my David's son, son of David. Jesus, one of his favorite titles. David's son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mind you, Jesus had not preached a single sermon. He had now not done a single miracle. But God is pleased. That's something that I told my sons over. I got two sons. I told them over and over again. I said, Daddy's so proud of you because you're my sons. You don't have to impress me. You cannot impress me. You are so special. You're my children. Pour out love into your kids. If you have children, if you don't have children, that's okay. Pour out love into them. As you pour love into people's hearts, confidence rises. And there are many love languages as well, how to do it. Okay. So, I would encourage you that... How could John, uh, you know, how to deal with that? Let's come back to that in a second. John was seeing this, so he should know that this is Christ. Then how come he's doubting? What caused John to doubt? The next thing I'm going to deal with. Like all Israelites, they had an expectation of what Christ would do. His expectation did not quite match up with God's plan in that sense. And John had, um, um, I earlier mentioned he was an outspoken character that landed him in prison. We'll see why he landed up in prison. Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod. He had gone to Rome to meet with his brother who was another Herod. While he was there he seduced his sister-in-law and then he married her. And he's back now in, in Judea and John is looking at this and saying, I need to say something. He's quite outspoken. That landed him in trouble. You never go and uh, publicly and sternly rebuke a despot. That's going to land you in trouble. So Herod Antipas put him in prison. In the mountains of Judea, there's a fortress. I think it's called Machias or Machiris. And uh, he was there. 
and he is languishing in prison. His ministry had started wonderfully well because people were coming to him. He was in the wilderness. People were coming to him and people were repenting of their sins and he had identified this is the Christ. And now I am in prison. I wonder, is anyone thinking about me? Of course, there are a few people thinking about his disciples. Jesus was not the only person who had disciples. People, old rabbis during those times had followers. John had his disciples and they came to him. And they came to him and they were reporting to him, this Jesus, you remember that Jesus whom you baptized? He is doing some amazing works, that, the works of Christ. He's not referring to the cross at the stage because it's on this side. He's talking about the works is the, the, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, uh, the poor have the good news preached to them. People are being set free from, from mindsets, prisons. God is liberating people. And he's, seeing all, he, he's hearing these reports and he's saying, I'm still in prison. Doubt can set in, folks. Doubts can set in when your expectation does not line up with God's word and you have got this grandiose idea, this is exactly how God must meet your, meet my need. You know, sometimes we think like, oh, I've specifically prayed and I've told God exactly this, this and this. Sometimes God does, you know, for reasons known to him, answers a prayer which is pretty specific. You say like, God, I want the 931 bus to come at 936. Possible. I'm running late, please help me. It's possible. But that's not how God normally works. You know, God works usually the way he works. He's sovereign. He, you know, and, and you know, God doesn't revolve around you. You, your lives revolve around Him. So, so friends, I would say in your prayers, you know, it's the most beautiful prayers. Lord, I've made a beautiful plan for my life, but not my will, but yours. I've made a plan. I've meticulously planned it. Feel free to alter it. Your God and I know you. Your ways are much better than my ways. Your thoughts are much better than my thoughts. Lord, feel free to tinker with my plan. Change it if you like. I want to live for your glory. So here's John is struggling here. He's saying, is anyone thinking about me? If he's the Messiah, I'm his forerunner. Come and do some miracle here. Set me free. Get rid of Herod Antipas. Deal with him. Strike him dead. He's thinking probably all these things. I'm using poetic license here. So here is John. He's struggling with doubt. That's what caused him to doubt. What did John do about his doubt is the next thing. He didn't say, shall we Google up, shall we? He didn't do that. He went he sent a delegation to Jesus. If you have, if you're struggling with doubt, go to this, go to God, go to Jesus, and say, "My life simply doesn't add up. It's a mess." 
Please help me. I don't know what I've done wrong, but will you make the best out of my life? Will you somehow glorify your name in my life, in my circumstance? So here is John sends his disciples to Jesus with the question, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Jesus' reply is he sends John back to Scripture. He sends him back to Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. The one that Jesus repeat, uh, repeated or quoted in uh, the synagogue in Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You remember that? He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, the blind see, the lame walk, all that, set the captives free. So he quotes this scripture, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the, the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is he, or blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John goes to Jesus with this doubt by a delegation. If you're struggling with doubt today, go to Jesus. He's the best one to answer and clarify you. And he will point you to scripture. Go to the word of God. How do you go to Jesus? Go to the word of God. Spend time reading, learning uh, from the word of God. Lord, let my life line up with it, with yours. Your plans, your purposes. And so in closing, I just want to make a few remarks. If you're struggling with doubt, go to Jesus. Go to the scriptures. It's a good thing to make, you know, that, you know, earlier what Livy said. Trust God and love people. That's a good thing. How do you trust God? You trust God by going to scriptures and hearing scripture. Uh, the antidote for doubt is faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. Faith, faith comes. You know sometimes I'm studying and suddenly there's a whoosh inside of me. There's a, 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 a you know, I just kind of, I just come out of my study or my lounge or wherever I'm sat, sat sometimes in a car studying the Bible and I just come out and say God this is great this is the best thing in life fall in love with scripture I just I just it, it, I tell you it, it gives me an excited feeling which is kind of incomparable when I hear God has spoken to me faith has risen in my heart and I'm saying Come on, bring, throw life at me. I'm ready to face the day. Okay, here's a few tips. When you are going to approach this year to study scripture, to read scripture, go with the motivation, I want to know you more. Don't just go and just say, oh, I'm doing my Bible study, I'm just doing my reading. God, I want to know you more. Go with that thought, that prayerful thing. 
and uh, go with a desire. Lord, let your words transform me, change me, challenge me, wash me, cleanse me. Go with that attitude. I want to be transformed uh, by your word. Slow down and analyze the passages in context. So you know it's holding against the whole. It just gives you a whole against the whole idea of what God is like. Pray scripture. Pray through scripture if you like. Use scripture in your prayer. And as you do this, go with the idea you want to bless others as well. Okay, so don't keep your treasures to yourself. Uh, share it with somebody. You know, put it on your status, your Instagram or whatever. Some of you already are doing it. And, you know, whether people give you thumbs up or not, don't worry. Just put it up there. It might bless somebody. Okay. So I'm going to just close. So this year, I want you to commit to your lives afresh to God and say, God, uh, I want you to be glorified. I want to know you more. I want to be transformed by your word. And if you're struggling with doubts or your life is, could be better, why don't you just say, God, I just want to give over my life to you. I don't know where else to turn to. I don't want to turn anywhere else. I want to turn to you. Lord, I turn to you. Lord, I give my life to you. Will you come into my circumstance? Will you uh, be glorified in the middle of all the confusion and difficulties I'm wading through? Make me fruitful for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.